Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of How to Live the Podcast, where we have real, meaningful, and fun conversations with people who inspire us, and sometimes we just have them with each other. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dadon, and this is going to be the very last intro we record in person together for such a long time. For 2020. Oh my goodness. Crazy. You guys, Steph is moving to Byron. Have we told them that? No, we were waiting for this very special moment to tell them. Steph is moving to Byron. Today, I'm moving to Byron for the next six months. I'm so excited for sunshine. Actually, someone asked me the other day, I think it was our grandfather. He said, why are you moving to Byron Bay? And I was like, well, really the real reason is because my dog loves the beach. Yes, I love that. Panther does love the beach. It's like that dog video that's going viral at the moment of his owner bathing him really reminds me of Panther. Like you would just be sitting there being like, okay, Panther, if you want to move to Byron, we'll do it. Yeah, whatever you want, Panther. So we are going on a little road trip. We're going to be driving up for the next few days. And it's weird because usually Byron is so close to Melbourne that I thought, you know, we'd be flying back and forth. But with everything going on in the world right now, don't know when the next time I'll be back is. No, but I'm sure we'll find a way to visit each other. Hopefully, actually, I'll come up to Byron rather than you coming down to Melbourne because that's way more fun. Mm, Agreed. And we'll obviously just be recording podcasts remotely because everything can be done remotely now anyway. Totally. So next time, probably in PJs in bed. Done. So today we have a really incredible episode for you guys with Two very inspiring female entrepreneurs. They are Katja Santilli and Vera Yan, the unbelievable founders of Nimble Activewear. We learned so much from this conversation. It was so much fun to get to sit down with these girls. They are incredible and there's so much synergy between what they're doing in Nimble and what we're trying to do with Tubes. So that was really, really exciting. Yeah. So they're an activewear label, but they also have a really big sustainability focus in what they do. So obviously that really, really excited us. They also have some physical stores, so we chatted to them all about that. And also just all their awesome tips about working together as best friends. They shared some pretty cool stories. So let's get into the episode because I'm going to hit the road, you guys. Here are Katya and Vera. So nice to meet so you So good guys. to meet you. Oh my gosh, you guys, I'm so excited to tell you this. I taught yoga at Nimble on High Street Armadale. Oh my God. Oh. Yeah, we love that store. Well, we're from Melbourne originally. Yes. Yeah, so having a Melbourne store was such a big moment for us. And to be able to have a place where my parents can go because they have no idea what it is that we <laughs> do and to be able to have a shop where they can walk in, it's, um, yeah, we love that store a mm. lot. Oh my God. Yeah. So cool. Actually, somebody who used to work with us, her name's Morgan, started working with you guys. Yes. We know Morgan as well. Oh, Oh, she's the best. And we would always go into Nimble on High Street to visit her. Oh, wow. Okay. That's good. That's great. So are you still teaching yoga? Yeah, I am. It's like her side hustle. It's my side hustle. Yeah, Yeah, I started teaching. I did my yoga teacher training like last March. And so I teach at this studio in Melbourne called Upstate. So yeah, it's really fun. I love it. And I I often wear nimble. We wanted to start off by asking, how did you two meet? We met in year eight at um, MLC in Melbourne. 
this sassy little girl walked into <laughs> year eight. I had been there since year seven and that was, of course, Katia. And then I think that's really where the journey began. We Relationship were, blossomed. Yeah. I think we call it friends at first sight. Wow. I didn't realise that. I actually thought you guys met at uni and that is mind-blowing because I feel like starting a business with a good friend from school is a potential recipe for disaster and maybe you guys are one of the few success stories. Yeah, we did meet at uni, like Vera and I have very different skill sets and maybe that's what works so well. But we've always been, I guess, even growing up in high school, we're always known as Vera and Cardia, joined at the hip. You know, we'd go to school, we were even in the same class in year eight and that come home and we'll be on the phone for like two hours to each other and our parents would be like oh my god get off the phone go do your homework but we just formed a really strong bond and then I think what's transitioned really well into business I think just the trust the communication and then also the diversity and skill set too. Yeah, that's amazing. I actually started a business with my best friend from high school. We started terribly, terribly wrong. We started (laughs) a vintage fashion market together called Up and Comers Fashion Market. And we ran it together for about a year. We were best, best friends. And by the end of it, we weren't even speaking. And then we had a year apart. Now we're best friends again, all good. But that's awesome that you guys have been able to sustain that you seem like you're still close friends and you've got the business together so if you can make it work and we've heard that from a lot of people is that it's really important that you do have those different skill sets and you're not overlapping and constantly battling it out in the same areas I think Mm. so and it's a commitment as well we're so committed that Yes, we're really strong business partners, but first and foremost, like this is my best mate. So I think because we both have that, you work at it. It's like a relationship. It is like a relationship actually. You know, for the longest time, our poor partners were the third wheels. It's something that we get asked about all the time, you know, how do you work so well together? And the truth is because we're sisters, we don't feel like we can be authorities on the topic because we grew up in the same house. We have Mm. identical values. We have identical Mm. parents. I think something that we often get asked a lot is when you're first starting out and you want to find a partner, what are some of the like key things that you should be looking for that help you find a co-founder or someone to start a business with, whether it's a friend or a stranger or whatever it is? Are there some qualities that you guys identified in each other that you were like, this could work well? Thinking back now, I think values. Mm. I was going to say vision, like having the same vision and having the same fundamental values. So important. Because skill set is important. You don't want to step on each other's toes. But skill set you can learn, honesty, integrity, communication. Someone either has the same approach to those things or they see them differently. And I think when you have the same and you know that the other person is coming from that same place, it makes for a much more harmonious relationship. Yeah, and also the same vision for a business. Like you don't want to team up with someone who just wants to build something really 
quick and flip it when you're on it for the long haul because you're going to clash with how you want to grow your business. You know, we're really big on not raising equity and just trialing it at the start, using our own money and building it like sustainably in a way. And so we shared the same vision with our approach to business as well. And I think that's key. So you don't clash in fundamental big business decisions as well. So true. I think it's really important to pause and have those conversations because in the beginning it can be so exciting when you've got this idea and you're like, yes, let's jump in and build this brand together. But actually pausing to be like, okay, wait, are we on the same page? What kind of a business would you want to build? What are the values that you'd be bringing? Would you want it to be sustainable or not? Those are big conversations that could cause some real splits. Talking about the non-sexy things as well as the sexy things I think is important talking about money finances yeah at what point do we max out our personal savings you know Mm. how much are we willing to risk they're hard conversations yeah who jumps into the business first or is someone still working someone's doing a split time between work and business especially if you are self-funding your business they're all conversations you need to have at the start and support each other with So taking you back to the beginning, why did you guys decide to start a label together? For us, starting Nimble was very much a product-led story. We started the brand because we saw a need for a product. Fast forward six years, where our brand stands, that's definitely shifted. But in the early days, it was definitely product. You know, going in six, seven years ago, Cardia had just moved to Sydney. She had been living in London previously. And we started bonding over workouts. You know, we'd meet up after work, we'd go to yoga together, and we'd just go and trial all of these different studios because boutique studios were really booming. And we had our Lululemons, as did almost every single other female in every single class we went to. And for us, the product performed really great. But what it lacked for us, I suppose, was this level of aesthetic. We wanted to express ourselves a little bit better in our active wear through print and through colour and through layering, all the while making sure that the product still performed and we could genuinely have a really good sweat session in it. We really saw the shift happening in how people were working out from these like big box gyms to studios and really diversifying their workout. It wasn't just going to the gym every day. Sometimes you do yoga or Pilates or, you know, go on a walk, but we didn't really see the shift starting to happen in what people were wearing. It was still a lot of poor black tights. You had your Addies and Nikes that were kind of like still, you know, very like masculine focused and still looking really technical. And we just thought there's got to be a way to bring, you know, a feminine element and a fashion element to activewear and so we saw how people were exercising starting to shift but we just saw an opportunity I guess with what people were wearing and then I guess it started really booming and people started coming onto the market as well. I love hearing people's business stories when it was just kind of something that they personally saw a lack for and they were like oh you know, I kind of need this. I feel like there's always just something special about a business that's brought about because of something personal. And we'd love to hear about what you guys were each doing work-wise at the time or leading up to that, that gave you the foundation to be able to build this business. Straight after uni, I moved up to Sydney for a finance role. So I worked in investment banking for just under two years, which was a 
interesting experience for me. You know, I learned so many skills, but you know, it was the path that I was supposed to take. I did okay at school. I did a commerce law degree. And then I just went for the job that I thought ticked the right box. Did it fulfill me? Was I passionate about it? Did I get excited to get out of bed to go to work in the morning? No. But at the time, it was quite interesting. I didn't really realise that you could be passionate about your work and the power of being passionate about your work and what that means in terms of your output and your dedication and the joy that you get out of it. You know, I'll let Katia go into what she was doing, but she was on the other side of the world and she loved her job. And it was quite interesting because we would have these phone calls where she would be doing all this incredible stuff and I would be sometimes in a meeting room in the evening on the phone to her crying because I was getting so worked to the bone. It taught me a lot about hard work, process and systems. So that was great. And from there, I moved into an even sexier career (laughs) as a tax lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) So I had decided while at Macquarie that, you know, I really loved seeing how businesses were structured and the fact that how a business is structured drives so much of how a transaction is done. And I liked, I guess, the intellectual challenge of tax as an area of law. So I decided that was my passion. And from there, I moved into a law firm. And that's when Cardia then subsequently moved to Sydney and we started the business while I was working as a lawyer. Yeah. And I think Vera picked up so many great fundamentals to move across to our business. She is an expert in Excel and an expert modeler. So there's so many like great skill sets she brought into Nimble. But for me, I've always been quite creative in a way and I took a very different career path. So I studied more of like a fashion and merchandising degree. And then from that degree, Puma Down in Melbourne approached our course wanting to fill a maternity cover position as a like merchandise assistant or like a product manager assistant. And so I was one of the people that applied and I was successful in the position. So I actually started my first role in activewear with Puma and absolutely loved it. It taught me a lot about, especially there's a lot of synergies in the business we are in now with assortment planning, procurement of inventory, margins and building a range, I guess, for your customer. So I loved that position, but I had a burning desire to go work overseas. And initially I thought, well, my dad's side's Italian. I can't speak Italian, but I could go work in one of the Italian fashion houses because I've got access to an Italian passport. So I started taking Italian classes and I soon realized how much I actually sucked at a second language. (laughs) (laughs) One year in her French test, the only thing she wrote on her test was her name. I couldn't do the rest. I love that you guys have that high school dirt on each other. So good. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think Italian, I wasn't getting very far. And I'm like, gosh, how am I going to like even work in Italy? My dad kept saying to me, oh, but you have to immerse yourself in the culture. You'll be fine when you're over there. And then I was at a friend's birthday one evening and two girls said, oh, we're moving to London. And I'm like, I'm coming with you. And so like in a couple of months, we packed up, moved over there, quit my job and I landed what I thought was, and it was great at the time, my dream role with Burberry. That taught me a lot. I had such an amazing boss that I learned so, so much of and I was driving over there and I really loved my 
work and it wasn't until I had to come back to Australia to finalise my Italian passport down in Melbourne. I had to spend about three months back in Oz, so Burberry were holding my position for me, that I decided to come up to Sydney and spend a little bit of time with Vera and then we kind of like fell in love with this whole health and wellness space, got chatting about a business and I just decided not to pursue my career in London anymore and to, you know, give this business a good old crack. And I guess we started working on Nimble and I guess the rest is history. It's so interesting to hear about your pasts before Nimble because we also read that it took you about six months once you came up with the idea to launch the brand. And when I first read that, I was like, six months? It took us 18 months to come up yeah. with Tubes, our footwear brand, like when we came up with the initial concept. And, and, and in our defense, shoes are very complicated. Shoes are complicated, <laughs> but we had no real experience. So we were really just like coming from absolutely nothing. Like we were just like, let's start a shoe brand. So it's pretty cool that with those skills that you learned elsewhere in your kind of beginning careers that you were able to launch this brand. So once you decided that you wanted to build it, what were a few of the first steps you took? You were like, right, we've got this idea. How do we get it to launch? I think it was definitely very product focused in the early days. We had an idea around where we wanted to sit in the market and stylistically what the product wanted to look like, but we needed someone to make the garments. And I think for us, Vera and I just had this holiday booked with our friends to Hong Kong and that was booked in and we thought, well, while we're over in Hong Kong, why don't we get in touch with some factories in China and we'll just fly over from Hong Kong and go visit them. So we literally found these factories on Alibaba and I'm like, I'm going to give each factory the same garment to make. Let's get back all these samples and just review their quality and how they've interpreted the tech pack and then we'll go meet with the ones we like. So we literally did that. We left our friends in Hong Kong for I think like two or three days and we made our way over to China. Thankfully Vera has a Chinese heritage and can speak Chinese as well. So it made that relationship a bit easier with the factories. However, what we learned was we had this opportunity to work directly with some mills in Taiwan where we could start developing our own fabric. And I think the thing with activewear is how important fabric is for performance of garment, how it fits on the body, how it moves. I think that's a big part of quality activewear. And so we wanted to work with a particular mill. And then we also started exploring some supplier options in Australia. And I think we ended up just manufacturing in Australia for the first, I think, two and a half years. And it gave us the ability, because minimums are so much lower here, to really like test products in our market and not be sitting on this depth of inventory that we could only buy a couple of styles because, you know, we had to bring in like hundreds of units of them. In Australia, it allowed us to have like a bit of a wider assortment, test with our customers what worked, what didn't, what kind of colours she was liking, what type of prints. And it was just like a evolution of just literally trial and error and chatting with people. I think that's so interesting. I think it's great advice to be able to test something on a small level. I think that 
for us, we were manufacturing in China straight off the bat and we were like, yes, yeah, sure, whatever your minimums are, like we'll go for that, mm. we'll figure out how to sell it. But in hindsight, if we were able to go a lot smaller and test a lot more, I think it would have been a lot more beneficial. But I'm really interested that you said that product was everything you focus on because for us, brand is everything we focus on more mm. than product and often to our detriment. So how did you guys balance thinking about the product and thinking about the brand? I think that's been a slow evolution and it's been a huge learning for us, the whole side of brand and marketing and that it's really about that credibility and that trust and that emotional connection you have with your customer. You know, where we are today, so much hard work goes into the product, but that is almost like we're at the point where our customers expect our products to perform And what we need to build is on that credibility and trust and that emotional connection. So in the early days, we very naively assumed that we would make this product and have a website and all these people would just come, like they just find the website and they just (laughs) buy it because we thought that we needed the product. And so clearly all of these other people might have thought the same. So I think, you know, that's probably why it took us six months and it took you guys 18 months because you put so much thought into the brand and the positioning and where you sit within your competitive landscape, your tone of voice and your messaging. That's something that we've really had to learn as we've gone. Yeah, Yeah. you definitely need to balance it in the early days. We weren't brand focused enough. We're just very naive. Neither of us came from really like brand backgrounds, brand or marketing, you know, me working in much bigger organizations, you're very siloed into your product area you're focusing on. So in a way, it's great working for big companies because you learn a lot of like structure and process and how to specialize. But there's also something great about when you get exposure to smaller businesses, because you see the breadth of everything you have to work across as well. You can't do everything. There's product, there's brand, there's so much to be thinking of. And when you are a small brand and when you're bootstrapping and you're not getting so much investment, you can't do everything. Whether you do focus on the product first, whether you do focus on the brand first, ultimately you need it all, but you can't have it all straight off the bat. So it's okay to kind of start by focusing on what you're good at and then bring in the things that you don't have as you go along the road. Yeah, and I think we learnt the brand and marketing side ourselves. We basically just hustled with grit and determination. You know, we were going to all of the studios we went to and we were like, hey, can we just set up a rack and sell on the weekend? You know, we went to these Tough Mudder type things and you could buy a stall. It was like the Bondi Markets and we went to some whack-ass places um, (laughs) that were (laughs) hours out of Sydney and we went with our plastic buckets and we, you know, set up all the racks. We travelled over to the US and we did a trade show over there very naively. (laughs) had no idea that at a trade show the buyers actually don't even look at you. They just want to go to their brand and that's it. can so deeply relate to that. I feel like so much of what you're saying is like been there. Yeah, absolutely. But you learn so much, I think, and we're really grateful now that we look back and we had all those learnings ourselves because we never had the money or the know-how to just jump in and do it. We were actually able to make all of those mistakes on a small scale and learn from those mistakes. That's so valuable. When people are starting out and they want to create a business, it can feel super saturated right now. And you guys talked about 
being in those yoga classes and just seeing a sea of Lululemon and everyone's wearing black tights. And I know we felt that as well, you know, oh, should we be in footwear? Like it feels very saturated. So how did you find the courage to move into a market that already had such big key players? And how did you decide to do things differently in order to stand out from that? first thing was the fact that we had each other and we started telling people that we had this idea that was the first part of it by telling people that you have this idea you almost end up holding yourself accountable to delivering it I know both of our personalities as well we definitely are people that like to do what we say we'll do and it's like a personal disappointment to ourselves if we don't follow through so I think that was partly it And I think even though it's a saturated marketplace, you know, health and wellness as an industry is more and more on the rise. There are more and more and more people that are interested in health and wellness. So therefore, there are more and more and more potential consumers and space for different brands out there. And people want choice, I think, as well. I think we definitely went into it quite naive as well. And we thought, let's just give it a red hot crack. We truly did think that there was a little bit of a gap at the time in the market in terms of what we're trying to offer versus, you know, what competitors were doing. And then, you know, we evolved into like then sustainability and our tone of voice as well. And that's all been like an evolution of our brand. But yeah, we quite naively thought, let's take on the big guys because the big guys sometimes lose that personal connection you can have with your customers and how you speak to them, how you interact with them at a community level as well. And I think you keep coming back to that idea of naivety and that's something we love to talk about because it's so valuable to be so naive in the beginning. You shouldn't know everything. There should be an element of just jumping in, having not all of the facts, because if you have all of the facts, it's scary. I think if I could look back when we were starting tubes to now, I'd be like, oh, no, let's not do it. You know, but then we wouldn't have done it. Mm. You mentioned sustainability there. So we know sustainability is a big part of your company. And we'd love to have a bit of a chat about that. What was the driver for moving in a sustainable direction? It was this one pivotal moment at our Bondi store we had this big stock delivery come in and we just had to get like newness out on the floor. So I was helping out the girls and we were tearing all of our products out of their poly bags. And I looked down on the floor and I just saw this mountain of plastic and I'm like, gosh, that's pretty embarrassing. And also the fact that I think sometimes as a consumer, you don't notice single use plastic as much, but when you're a business and I was just like, you know, this was one day in one store on the mountain of plastic, you see how much businesses contribute to landfill and waste. And so we have an incredible production team on the ground actually in Taiwan and this is a topic they're actually really passionate about. So it was just starting to have the conversations with them about different materials we could use in one packaging that if it does end up in landfill, something that can biodegrade quite quickly or it's made from natural vegetable materials as opposed to plastics to 
a lot of our activewear actually uses synthetic yarns and synthetic is in a way a form of plastic. So is there a way that we can use recycled synthetic yarns in our activewear instead of producing the virgin yarn itself? And because we custom engineer a lot of our fabrics, it gives us the ability to control the yarn we use as well. Can completely relate so deeply to that experience you had in your Bondi store because when we started Tubes, our footwear label, I was actually packing our orders at our mum's house and they just all arrived in poly bags, which is a plastic bag. We just hadn't even thought about it before. We didn't know they were going to come in anything. And then it arrived and every day I'm packing these orders and it's just more plastic and more plastic and more plastic. And especially our mum was just giving me so much shit for it. She was like, this is disgusting. You girls are disgusting. And I was like, I know we didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. Now we bring over all of our shoes in boxes, which takes up more room, which we do take a margin hit for. But there's got to be that accountability there. I think if you want to be in business today, you need to do better than that. It needs to not all be about the bottom line. It can be about the bottom line and other things as well. We were really excited to speak to you guys about your sustainability journey because it's a journey that we're on at the moment with tubes. So looking at recycled materials and closing our loop and all of those really fun and difficult conversations that we're having at the moment. So Nimble is definitely a brand that we look to that inspires us. We noticed on your website, it says you've recycled almost 1 million plastic bottles since you started using them in 2015. Are you going to have a 1 million party? We should actually. Yeah. We definitely should. It's actually quite nifty. It's linked to our online store so it feeds in automatically. But once a fortnight, we update the number with all of our retail and wholesale. Cool. You should have like a clean up rubbish party. We definitely yeah. should actually. I might um, take that away and brief the girls. <laughs> Go for it. All your communication on your website around sustainability and having that, you know, number of bottles is simple and easy to understand. What's your approach when it comes to communicating that sustainable aspect to customers while still balancing it with the fashion element? Because we feel like you guys do do that so well. For us, over the last really six months, it's been a big focus for us to make sure we are communicating this sustainability story. The journey for us has been one about education. The more educated we've become about sustainability, the more invested we are in it and making sure we do the right choices. So therefore, we have this responsibility with our platform to do the same for our customers. Fundamentally, we are an apparel brand and we do sell products. So the product needs to perform and we need to educate our customers in a really sort of fun, non-invasive way. We're not really preaching. We're just wanting to open their eyes about the sustainability and what we know and be as transparent as we possibly can be. And it's really interesting just hearing you talk about it because the fashion element is what your eyes are able to feast on when they walk into a store. So then I guess the messaging around sustainability that supports that helps create a more holistic picture of the brand. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a harder message, I suppose, to get across because it's not as obvious and it's not as sexy. But, you know, our team have worked really hard on it and they've done some really great initiatives. You know, even little things like our mailer bags that are made of cornstarch, the fact that they say on them, like, I'm so corny. You know, it's like a really fun way to educate consumers that actually this is a plastic, this is cornstarch, but it's not saying I'm made of cornstarch. It's just like a different fun way to communicate that messaging. You guys, we are so aligned. That's exactly what we do as well. <laughs> if you make a fun <laughs> pun about it, then like we're all recycling and we're all having fun. We educated yeah. you and you didn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And you've talked about your stores. How did you kind of decide that you wanted to start stores rather than being online? If I think about the activewear space, obviously like PE Nations are obviously a really big key player in that space and they don't have their own stores. They've gone online, but there's definitely a credibility that comes with having, you know, I'm like, oh, I know Nimble Boutiques. How did you come to that decision of opening boutiques? Bondi was our first store when we opened that about five years ago now. And Online's a really important channel for us and I think same with the digital space with a lot of brands but I think there's merit in your brand living beyond the screen and customers being able to like come in, connect with you on a product or brand level and engaging with your community. Like people still want to come in, try, touch, feel products and have that human interaction as well. So we wanted the ability to be able to offer that. Vera and I do have a few mentors and this comes back to once again being super naive and we're catching up with one of our mentors actually at Phil's, which is just a cafe a few doors down from our current store in Bondi on Hall Street. And he was talking about we really need to get in front of the customer and start seeing, instead of selling online, maybe have a stall at Bondi Markets or can you get a pop-up and test something or can you go into it with another brand? And then as we're leaving and walking past our now Nimble store, he's like, oh, even that's a great space for you, but it's, oh my God, it's way too big. You'd need to do it with another brand and see if they can like offer you like a three-month lease. The next thing you know, Vera and I are calling out the real estate agent and we're signing a long-term lease by ourselves <laughs> and we're like, <laughs> no, we can do this. And was the space too big for us initially? Yes, but at the time we we're still working from home and having our one employee at the time come and work from our kitchen table. So we kind of like turned the back bit into an office and we we're able to grow the team there. And we just slowly added in more racks as our product assortment grew. And it was actually like one of the best things we've chosen to do. And we really started pivoting our brand at that point. I think also having the office at the back of the store and being able to hear all the customer interactions with the change rooms is really great for like live customer feedback. That's so cool to hear because, you know, there are such mixed reviews on bricks and mortar and we ourselves have had a bunch of pop-ups, but there really is something in that having that brand presence. And you talked before about building brand trust and I think people trust what they can kind of see and touch and feel. So that's definitely probably been a big part of why you guys are growing into this big company and people really do trust you. 
Yeah, and I think engaging with what local community, whether it's like-minded businesses or actual customers is so, so important. We were naive to think we could just create a website and like the traffic will come. You can't just open a store. Of course, you do, do get natural foot traffic, but you know you have to think of ways of how you can grow your engagement in that local community as well. Mm. Running a business and starting a business, they're both so hard. We know how hard they are (laughs) and time consuming. So something that we wanted to end on is this idea around balance and how have you found balance between working and growing the business, but also growing yourselves and making time for your friends and your family and things that you love to do? What has that looked like for you? Gosh, I don't know if I'll ever be perfectly balanced. I'm actually 38 weeks pregnant at the moment as well. So about to embark on the next stage of motherhood could literally go into labor at any moment. (laughs) But for me, I think family life is so, so important and work can it be consuming? Yes. I try and put some time into myself in the morning. So like when I get up in the mornings, that's a bit of me time, whether I'm doing a class or going on a work or just clearing my head. And then when I'm at work, I'm at work and being present. Of course, there are some late nights here and there, or you need to log on on the weekends. But then when I'm at home, especially with my partner, we're doing things together. We always try and like every Sunday, we're going out and doing something together. And we're actually not just living in the house together, we're, you know, properly living together as well. I know things will change once the little bub comes along too. So it's even a bit more to juggle. It gets really, hard though running your own business especially like going through COVID as well where things were changing so rapidly and there was so much unknown it got quite consuming but you know I've got the support of well one the team's been amazing and then also fundamentally my business partner and best friend Vera but I think it's something that you're always constantly learning how to balance Vera I don't know if you've got the answers (laughs) no I don't have the answers it's a struggle, I think, for anyone, as you girls would know, for doing a business, you have to be prepared to do whatever it takes to get the business through because unless as founders you guys do it, there's no one else there to do it. But I think for me it's about choice. You know, if I'm working late or I'm slogging my guts out over a week, I'm choosing to do that and that's balanced to me. If the following week I'm choosing to do, make sure that I go to a class every single day or do a lunchtime class, I'm choosing to do that. And that to me is balance. And again, I think it's like on the weekend, I make sure that I think it's so important if my husband and I don't take some time out to connect, you become strangers in a house. So you just have to choose to be present. Routine's probably actually a big one. Yeah. I think that actually helps me a lot. Having routine and set in catch-up dates with people. I know it sounds like so structured, but otherwise we just get so consumed by the everyday if you don't Mm. actually set in time and in a way schedule things in either for yourself or with your partner or friends or at work. I think I'm definitely a big one on routine. Yeah. And I love what you said there before, Vera, about just being present with whatever you're doing and recognizing that it's a choice because I think it's about Mm if we're accepting what's in front of us and choosing to do it, then you can find the joy in anything. Just because it's called work, if you're choosing to spend your time doing this, if you enjoy it, then 
that is your balance. You, you're having fun. You don't need to find fun elsewhere if this is your fun. And also love that you guys obviously really support each other and really having each other. And I can just feel the fun that you guys must have working together. And people often say to us, should I go into business with my friend? What kind of a partner should I have? And like Jess said, we're like, ah, we're sisters. We can't really give you the advice. We have such a unique dynamic, but I feel like you guys seem like the poster for, yes, go into business with your best friend. You will create something amazing and you'll have a blast while doing it. Oh, thanks, guys. That's very kind of you. So we do always wrap up our interviews with quick fires. So we would love to shoot you some quick fires. Go for it. You've mentioned classes a couple of times. So what is each of your go-to exercise? Boxing. Yoga. Nice. What is your ideal Sunday? Spending time with my partner, it's always a walk and getting fish and chips in Watson's Bay. (laughs) Oh, what is my ideal Sunday? I would say food, probably a walk and sunshine. Mm. And in Summer Beach, Vera's in Bronte, I'm in Bondi. Just honestly, like using that beach as your mini kind of like holiday for the weekend. Don't you guys stop showing up about it. <laughs> yes, or are you depressed enough in winter in Melbourne? It's like no wonder you chose to live in Sydney. Yeah. I feel the exact same way. We lived in Bondi for a little bit and just love it there. Yeah, it's a different little part of the world. How many pairs of leggings do you have if you know the number? Oh, oh God! A lot, as many as fits across two little sections <laughs> of my drawer. I've lost count. I'm not <laughs> sure. A lot. Okay. Next question is Sydney or Melbourne? Sydney. <laughs> Same. Damn it. The last one. We would love a book recommendation from you both. Ooh. I am reading. Oh, God, I've just read labour and maternity books. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think of one that I am reading, A Fine Balance, which I have really loved. It's I haven't read properly since year 12, really, and part of COVID I've been reading and one of my girlfriends who lives in London and she's incredibly smart and bright and reads very intellectual books that normally for me it's like I need a dictionary I don't even understand but I think during COVID it's been really nice to read a book that's you know it's set in India in the 70s and it explores sort of the social system over there I think that's been really interesting like I've never educated myself in that way but it's still like a fiction book so it's fun I love a good fiction book. Mm. I can't think of a good book off the top of my head, but if anyone is becoming a new mum, especially during COVID when a lot of classes have been cancelled, you have to turn on to reading. I've found Juju and Sarah Murdoch's The Labour Skills book very useful. So that is like new mums out there. I can report back after I've been in the situation as well, how useful the skills were. Thank you so much, guys. That was so fun. Thanks, ladies. All the best with your baby and everything. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, fingers crossed. Ooh, that was such a fun conversation. You know, when you just meet people and you're like, I want to be their friends. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt about these chicks. I feel that too. And I also feel like I want to go be their friend in Bondi or Bronte. Yes, totally. And we do love Nimble. They do such cool clothing and it's so awesome to see when you buy the leggings and they say how many plastic bottles they were able to recycle through that purchase. So definitely encourage you guys to go and check them out. 
So if you did like this episode, you can help us get the word out by sharing it with a friend. We would really, really appreciate, even if you just send this episode to one friend and tell them how much you loved it and what you got out of it. Surely you have a friend that loves Nimble, right? And they would love to hear this episode. Yeah. We would really, really appreciate if you would share it. Also, make sure you come and continue the conversation with us. We are on Facebook, How to Live the Podcast. It's a closed little group, non-exclusive, exclusive club that we want you all to be a part of. And also Instagram at How to Live the Podcast. Next week, we will be having another In Conversation episode because remember, we're doing those every second week now. Just the two of us having a little old chat. Okay, that's all. Have a great trip, Steph. Thanks, Jess. And wishing you all a really wonderful week. Stay safe. We love you and we will chat soon. See you next week. Thank you.